I want mine to be peaceful and surrounded by loved ones. I want mine to be uneventful. I want mine to be with my closest loved ones by my side and some salty French fries. I want mine to be as painless as possible. It can feel strange at first talking about what one wants at the end of life, especially when most of us hope that time is still a long ways off. But if asked, many of us do have some ideas, some image uh, that are consistent with who we are, our values and preferences. There are now over 200 such statements on the website homepage of The Conversation Project, poignant in their brevity and clarity, and in stark contrast to the confusion and missteps that typify too many end-of-life experiences, especially in the U.S. It's this confusion, born of many factors but often played out painfully in hospitals and intensive care units, that The Conversation Project, which just launched two weeks ago in collaboration with IHI, wants to help patients and families avoid, starting with kitchen table discussions where loved ones can get to know each other's end-of-life preferences. It's both simple and profound, of course, and that's why many of us welcome the Conversation Project, which is designed to help. And we'll explain how on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We're here bi-weekly and also for your later listening and convenience via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Building on the work of many groups and individuals eager to better align the healthcare system with end-of-life needs and wishes, the Conversation Project is contributing to this mission in some novel ways. One that I especially appreciate is the use of social media and the creation of a welcoming online space to gain courage and insights from others. So let me now provide some brief introductions, and there are longer bios on the WIHI pages of IHI.org. So everyone is here, as I'm suggesting in the studio today. That's a great feat, starting with Ellen Goodman, founder of The Conversation Project, and known to many as a Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist, author, speaker, and commentator. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. Larry Weber is to my left here, is chairman of W2 Group, a digital ecosystem of marketing services companies that build brands, deepen customer and partner relationships, and drive demand for products and services. W2 is working with the Conversation Project. Welcome, Larry. Great to be here. All right. And IHI's lead for public and patient engagement rounds out our group today. Martha Hayward is working on integrating patient and family-centered principles into all of IHI's work. She, too, is working with the Conversation Project. Welcome, Martha. Thanks, Mitch. So, um, John said we typically keep the chat uh, sort of in reserve until the second half of the uh, hour here, but I do sometimes also like to start off with a little audience participation, a kind of informal query to all of you. So, what's what we're going to do? And um, it's pretty simple. In order to say yes, all you have to do is use the hand icon. And any of you who are joining by phone uh, and uh, not logged in, if you want to uh, email your answers to us at info at IHI.org, please feel free. Don't mean to leave you out at all. So here's my question, and again, use that hand icon as a form of saying yes. How many of you who've joined us today, and there are about 600 of you so far, how many have expressed 
your end-of-life wishes and or preferences to other family members or loved ones or close friends, or you've been part of a conversation where somebody else has expressed their wishes to you. How many of you have done so? And we're going to just watch the count here. Kathleen Wood-Smith gets her own nicely identified hand. And um, so, as I said, about 600 of you or, and change have joined, and I'm watching the number, the ticker go up here, uh, 110. Let's see where we round out. That'll be kind of interesting to see. 123, 24, 25, 26. Keep them coming, folks. All right. This will give us some uh, nice, our kind of informal benchmark um, of what we're doing here. All right. It keeps going. So I'm going to let this uh, 160... All right. It's still going. All right, getting close to 170 almost here. All right, let's, uh, we'll say that it's definitely, um, well, maybe it's even close to 200. So thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask now, uh, oh, and Tara has told me yes. Okay. Um, So here's a question now um, as we hover maybe around 160. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking we're hovering about 170 now. So here's a question. If you did not raise your hand, oh, somebody says you can't find the hand. Okay. All right. It's, it's that thing that looks, no, does that look like Michigan? No, it doesn't look like Michigan. Okay. Um, the hand icon. Um, all right. If you didn't raise your hand, here's my question. What would you say is standing in the way right now? What's making it either difficult or what has what is making it not possible so far to have that conversation? Uh, and again, just go ahead and chat in. So this isn't a hand raise, but just go ahead and chat in any thoughts you have about why you either feel you haven't been part of that conversation, heard somebody else's wishes, or perhaps haven't expressed your own. And we'll give people maybe uh, a minute. And I know people have to type here. So that um, just gives us a little, not dead air, but just a moment so we can uh, see what the answers are. All right, folks, I'm going to try and share these. Ooh, it comes fast. My mother is resistant, wishes change, doesn't seem like an immediate priority. People do not like to talk about death. Uh, Just has not happened. Uh, Death is something that happens to other people, not to us. It's an uncomfortable conversation. Relinquishing control is very hard. Makes it too real, somebody is saying. Um, Okay, all right. And I have, but can't... Whoops, that's about the hand. Sorry. Um, I need to express my own and update my advance directive. Nobody wants to talk about it early in life. And there are too many... There are many difficult decisions to make. Generates a lot of distress. All right, uh, folks, go ahead. Um, We're going to sort of get underway here, but feel free to go ahead and um, continue typing in some of the concerns that you have here. And our hope is during this hour, and as you learn more about this initiative, you'll begin to see some ways in which the resources here can be helpful to you. Um, And I love having all this on chat. It'll be helpful to the project and helpful to each of you to see kind of what you're all grappling with. That's part of the point of this uh, project as well. So I'm going to start off, uh, thank you again, everyone, for your participation. We're going to start off with Ellen Goodman. I was trying to think back to when you first came to speak to Don Berwick and to Maureen Bisignano about this. Is it about two years ago or in change? Am I? I think that's about it. Okay. So what I'm wondering is um, what was fueling your desire then? Uh, to have something like this um, and to kind of change the tone and what might be possible for these kinds of discussions. And is that still fueling your desire? 
Um, I think what fueled my original thought about launching this project was a personal story. Um, and that's one of the amazing things about this project is all you have to do is tell people what the project is and in a sentence, the conversation project is an attempt to have everyone's end of life wishes expressed and respected. You say that and the next thing that comes back at you from someone else is a story. And it's a story usually about a good death or a hard death and the difference between the experience was often whether the person talking to you knew what the wishes of their loved one would have been. And so uh, we began to realize that. And so when we sat down originally with um, Don and Maureen, and uh, we were told, you know, we had 15 minutes to talk to them. <laughs> and an hour and a half later. <laughs> oh, that's plenty of time for this topic. Yeah, right. Uh, an hour and a half yeah. later, they were wonderful and saying, how can we help? And that began our partnership with them, which ultimately launched this project, which we're pretty thrilled two weeks in <laughs> all right so the project thank you ellen the project did launch uh two weeks ago practically to this day i think two weeks ago yesterday wednesday so talk a little bit about the key components you talked about the general goal which is to help people have this conversation and express their wishes um but how does this project work and perhaps sort of what's it what's it doing that's uh, maybe even a little bit different or that builds on some other things well it's a public media campaign because we believed that what was missing in having people's wishes expressed and respected, what we were in was the cultural change business, that when we originally sat down with people who are healthcare professionals and who had been an end of life far longer than we had, and much of the attention had been on trying to get doctors to talk about this, and frankly, it hadn't worked because we know in Massachusetts only 17% of people have had these conversations with their doctors, and in California only 7%, which is essentially nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we said, how do you get this to begin? And we we all agreed with the urging of the healthcare professionals that the place to start was with cultural change, to change the cultural norm from not talking about end-of-life wishes to talking about them, and that the way to do that was to go out with a public media campaign, which we worked with Larry to create, which is traditional, and social media, which is exists on the web, exists in your daily newspaper, and also on your or your child's Facebook page, depending on your generation, I should say, um, or in Twitter. But all of those are moving together to get people to the kitchen table to have these conversations with their loved ones before a crisis. Uh, thank you, Ellen. And on the screen here, we're showing the homepage of the Conversation Project, conversation, theconversationproject.org. And uh, it is a screenshot, so you get just a little sense of a uh, video here. That's Ellen. Uh, but what's really nice... It's the top of my head. It's the top of your head. <laughs> but if you go to the website, you'll see it. And, of course, you're at a kitchen table. Is that your own kitchen table, by the it's way? It's my own kitchen table, and I should say that it's my own mug, which I made. <laughs> right. <laughs> So um, talk a little bit about um, kind of what you can find and do. You don't have to go into all the detail because we do want people to explore this and have some opportunity on your own. But what's the significance of these uh, images here and I want mine? um, Have you had the conversation I want mine to be? What you can do is click onto a lot of the faces that are up there and each face will 
come up with a little text saying what they want theirs to be. By the way, I was also like you, Madge, when somebody went, when Larry originally came in with the campaign, I want mine to be my answer was as far from now as possible. <laughs> so I was a yeah. kind of, yeah. uh, I was there from the beginning. I mean, you yeah. have to maintain some sense of humor about this, too. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and then what we have done is to say what you should do, why you should do it, why it's important. Um, and to and how to get started. Okay. And we have a starter kit, right? Which you can download and look at, and which is aimed at really helping people to initiate these conversations. Okay, great. Terrific. And we've already had some wonderful, wonderful response back, which I can tell you some of the stories, which have been very heartening. Okay. Well, let's circle back to that. That's great. So again, now we have a nice image here and a reminder: anybody who's only joining by phone. Um, our customer service folks have these slides in hand, and you can email info at IHI.org uh, to grab them now or after the show. So some of the slides, again, there are, some of these are screenshots. Mostly we hope you'll go to the website, theconversationproject.org. So well, we have these various ways that people are going to get some resources for helping uh, to have the conversation. Uh, we've had some interesting news coverage already about how people have used um, the starter kit to, to kind of uh, generate some things. Um, I want to turn now to Martha uh, Hayward here and ask you, um, and feel free to, you know, kind of mention any stories as we go along. Uh, what does success look like for you? And kind of let's start with sort of a little, little S, almost like day to day here as this thing is rolling out, because this is an investment over time. Uh, none of this, uh, this is culture change that will uh, begin to kind of, uh, you know, uh, gradually migrate. Um, but it starts, everyone has to have their own individual, very personal kind of chat. Well, <clears throat> success uh, on a couple of levels. For me, in my role here at IHI, um, we're very focused on engaging the public and patients in the healthcare system and in their own health and healthcare. And I come to my work as a patient, and my responsibility is to carry that sort of the, that hat all the time in everything that I do. And so, success to me, um, on some level, is when I when I watch people respond to this and assume the responsibility for um, having these conversations in their families and being prepared to go in long before they have to, being prepared to go into the healthcare system. And, you know, we, we have a, currently we, have a, we tend to have a relationship with the healthcare system that we go in armed. But this isn't going in armed. This is going in ready and being able to um, make choices, much the same way in the birth movement um, that today – when a couple is pregnant, when a woman is pregnant, we're still at a stage where just women are getting pregnant, right? We haven't moved that far away. Um, <clears throat> when a woman's pregnant, we know that there are choices. We know that there we can birth at home, we can birth in a birthing center or in a hospital, and we and that and we also know that we can ha we can make those choices. They may change as the pregnancy progresses and as and as as it's imminent. That's the kind of experience I think that people should have with the healthcare system throughout, but particularly at their end of life care, that all of that should be a choice. And what the healthcare system offers should be part of that choice. So success to me would be people 
looking at the, to the healthcare system for expertise and for an option and for them to know that they're the expert on their wishes and their family's wishes. Okay, great. Thanks, um, thanks, Martha. And we'll circle back in and out of all these themes because I just want to get everybody in. So, Larry Weber, welcome. Um, so, as um, so, W two Group has deployed both PR and a kind of digital power and expertise uh, to bring the conversation project into the open. So, I want to ask about those kind of engines and how they are going to contribute or can contribute uh, to these goals that are being talked about. Well, the great thing about this project is that it's one of the first cultural change or social movement projects that is in the social media era. A lot of the really famous ones you might look back on or go all the way back to at least my our childhood, you know, from Smokey the Bear to littering to, you know, uh, even smoking, you know, but things that were like, obviously, yeah, as a community, we better get our act together and, you know, get these things done. The majority of those campaigns were done through paid advertising. And obviously, in the social media era, paid advertising is decreasing rather, rather rapidly. Uh, in fact, my three kids, uh, I don't think I've seen a commercial in five years. Uh, so even if we were trying to, you know, do it the old way, I don't think it would work. The second thing is we've sort of, uh, whether good or bad, we've become a, a culture, especially in the United States, of nonstop. You never have a break. You are always going. So you have your, di- your digital life and your real life are starting to converge so that there's no real line between them. And people are getting most of their information and sharing their lives uh, and the things they're thinking digitally and in digital environments. So the first thing that came across our mind was you have to have a great digital destination that people feel comfortable, that they can get, uh, you know, easily navigate, uh, that it feels like their place, much like uh, everyone that's listening to here must have a favorite store. You know, you go into a store and you go, I don't even know if I need anything. Thing, but I just like going to that store, and I like the people that work there, and I like the things that they have, and everything you know that goes along with that. That's the same thing in the digital world right now. And then the key to success in this kind of a, a social movement is the sharing of that digital destination and trying to get out into the new media, which includes the blog sphere, which, by the way, is getting more sophisticated, not less sophisticated, especially in health and health-related things, and to start to really reach out to other networks because the future of communications is about storytelling, content strategy, and the leveraging of these networks with one another. And that's really where we began and started. We still do some traditional media. Yesterday, the front page of the Boston Globe, you know, had a story about it because people still do read newspapers (laughs) and listen to some radio programs and, you know, (laughs) especially good ones like this. And you can do it all online, too. Right, right. Yeah. I was listening to Martha's Vineyard Station coming into work, you know. But the the um you know the 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 real challenge here is to getting people to share this information with one another so that you know gee uh, friend in on facebook it was hard having this conversation with my dad but we finally had it and it was terrific and you know it's something that i would recommend and well i don't know how to start that conversation the friend says oh well just go to here you know to the conversation.org you know to to get a starter kit and to to do some things like that but like most of your audience 
responded in your very first question, this is a little different as well as a social movement, and is that there's a negativity at least to some people about talking about this. Like even at our own agency, when I said this looks like a cool RFP that we want to respond to, half the agency went running for the door and wanted nothing to do with it, and the other half of the agency said, "Hey, I'd love to work on this project." You know, so even in our own young group, there was like horror about working on a project that addresses, you know, having a great end of life. And that's what this is about. And it makes a, a lot of sense. And uh, I think we'll be very successful if we keep working on making the, the circle larger. And that's what social media and the next generation of social media is about. It's using multiple tools to keep growing the audience, almost like the old, you know, proverbial ripple in the pond, mm-hmm. you know, till it includes as many people as you possibly can, especially our constituencies, which is the second phase from clergy to physicians to anybody that is part of a network to help you with end-of-life decisions. Yes, thank you very much. That's Larry Weber uh, from W2 Group. Uh, Ellen, let me circle back to you. So um, I'm thinking again about kind of what your image was when you first came with a group of colleagues and friends to to talk with IHI about this and what's uh, emerged. I don't know if you had this online world in in this in as part of the image. Um, but I think that the thing that we're constantly all grappling with every day, and especially with this issue about end-of-life issues, is the degree to which something so personal might end up kind of being posted online or that we would sort of seek out kind of all kinds of connections. Maybe we'll share what we what happened to us. So something so personal can find its way into this online in, environment and actually be useful. So talk a little bit about that dynamic as you've been experiencing it and maybe if there are even some, some stories that illustrate that. I think what's been interesting in the first wave is that a, a, a number of people have just stepped right up to it and told us the stories about using our starter kit with their family. Um, I agree with you that it's a personal conversation, and there are a lot of people who, when we we have a did, we have a partnership with ABC, remember, and so they've cre- been filming um, some families that have these conversations. So some families have been willing to actually do it for broadcast, and others have said, you know, I'm going to take this little starter kit, and I'm going to go home and do this very quietly. (laughs) And uh, one of the interesting things is even some of the reporters who have done it, a pretty hard-bitten group, or we think of it, (laughs) um, we've had some wonderful reports from people who said, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this with my dad? How am I going to do this with my sister, brother, whatever? And then report back and report in their own stories that these were, in fact, not scary conversations. They were intimate. They were some of the most kind of compelling exchanges of information that they'd ever had with the people in their lives. Because the dirty little secret is that everybody knows that we're all dying. You know, there's no margin of error like the pollsters have in in political life. We're all dying. And everybody has some thought or idea about it, but we've been keeping this from each other. And one of the things that we want to do in this campaign is say, you know what, we're all thinking about this quietly. Let's talk about it out loud, and that's how we'll make the end of life change so that people will be dying in the way that they would choose. 
thank you very much. Um, and uh, by the way, thanks. That, that's Ellen that you've been listening to, and, and uh, thanks again for everyone's comments as we're going along here. Um, I think that, first of all, uh, in Ellen's allusion to, and I think uh, Larry did too, also in the Boston Globe, there have been a couple of things, but Carrie Goldberg uh, did something for WBUR um, that was very, very powerful. She um, is an editor there and works on the Common Health blog, and she took the starter kit and worked on it with, with her dad. And um, you can hear that in both audio and, and read the text. Um, and don't forget, she did it with our resident doctor, <laughs> Jess McCannon. <laughs> who, right, Jess who McCannon, wrote, who, who came into the studio the, today. which uh, wrote the starter kit. Right, so the starter kit. Jane Rosner. Right. And, you know, I really want to encourage, maybe John can just show that screen again, uh, just to remind people about the starter kit. Um, first of all, I love the chapter, well, the way it's organized, get ready, get set, go, keep going. And I think that, um, you know, there's lots of really nice uh, tips here. And I think that the one of the key things here, actually, and I'll again sort of inject a little bit of personal bias, is that for some of us, a conversation like this can feel kind of very open-ended and boundless, and you don't quite know where, where are we going here. And I can imagine for um, the person initiating it and the person who maybe will start to open up, having something that you're working from a little bit could be very, very anchoring and, and very helpful framed, uh, frame. So really want to encourage people to take a peek at the starter kit. You can And download. also what we did, yeah. Madge, was we didn't make this a – medical starter kit, you know, if my left elbow and my right eyeball and my ankle are gone, I don't want to, you know, stick around. We made it a question about values. And we realized one of the questions in it is where do you stand on a continuum? And, for example, we know that a lot of people are most afraid that they won't get enough health care, and a lot of people are most afraid that they will get unnecessary, unwanted health care. And so we asked them, where are you on the continuum? And these are conversation openers, conversation starters, we call it, rather than a toolkit or some other phrase. Okay, thanks. Also, uh, you know, we're, yeah, you know, to your, to your point about sort of privacy or the, you know, bringing it back and being alone with it, we're also moving into a, a social time that there's a lot more transparency because of digital um, digital destinations, and that you know people find out, gee, I'm not alone, and especially in healthcare, where you look where you look at you know sites like Patients Like Me, where before you know you had ALS, you just felt, well, I'm alone and I'm dying and forget it, and all of a sudden, what do you mean? There's 50,000 other people that I can share and talk to and have experiences about this. So the idea that you're not alone is an important part of this kind of thing, and I, I think the transparency part of it is important. That was at the heart of the women's movement, this notion that I'm I'm not the only one. And that came in small consciousness-raising groups, and now we have this social media to take it large. <clears throat> Um, thank you all, and we're going to go to chat in just a moment. Um, I guess I want to bring Martha in for just a moment here. Um, it's really, what what kinds of lessons, or sort of even early lessons, if you can begin to kind of become more articulate about these issues, perhaps 
saying things to yourself, saying things to a loved one. How do you think that can almost translate to kind of other, maybe other health issues, uh, even as you're trying to find your your wings and your strength in, in dealing with healthcare uh, providers? I think the thing that we've learned uh, through this, the first thing that we've learned through this process is that the process begins with you. And this question that we have on the website, I want mine to be, um, I had a very personal experience with this because when the W2 group came in and they presented it. We we were having an event that evening, and I and, and we thought, well, we'll we'll try this. There were going to be sixty people um, gathered to talk about the conversation project, and I thought to myself, well dang, I have to do this now. I've been working on this project for a year, and I, I had resisted doing it. And as I, I, I said to this group, I'll do this with you. Let's do it right now. I want mine to be fill in the blank. You have four minutes. And I my heart went cold because I was faced with it. I couldn't run away. I was going to have to share what I said, and I didn't want to face it. And, so I, and I found myself putting down, and I was shocked that I wrote, I want to die in a hospital. And people are very surprised to hear that because we tend to talk about everybody wants to die at home. And the point of the conversation is not to um, do what others want you to do, but to identify yourself, what you're really comfortable with. I don't want to die in my home. I don't. I want my home to be free of that. Um, I have had such great experiences in hospitals. Nurses, I think, are sent from heaven, and the nursing care that I've received has been comfort and professionalism and compassion. And that's what I. That's how I. I see myself dying. So I think first we've learned it's the the conversation starts with you addressing it yourself. The other really important thing I, I was we were just talking before about feeling alone that the conversation is building community and is building community within your family. Um, People live every day because we're human um, and 100% of us will die. That's a fact. We've researched it. Um, That uh, people live in fear of death. That's our culture. We don't have a lot of really good ways of managing it or dealing with it. We're not open about it. And everyone's living in fear of it on some level or another. If you bring it up, the further away from imminent death or, or um, serious illness you, you start to enter into the conversation with your family, you connect yourself, you relieve yourself of the burden of feeling that you're, you're going to be a burden on your family or they don't understand you. One of the statistics we learned was that in uh, building all the research around this was that the majority of people will res- will say that they know what their family's end-of-life wishes are, and the majority of them are wrong. Mm-hmm. Because as a daughter, I can't help but put into the mix that I feel the responsibility for keeping my mother alive, mm-hmm. where my mother may be ready, yeah. and I may not be ready to hear that. Right. And that whole dynamic comes in. So when you share and then you share within your family, you're together around this really wonderful thing. So I think those are the two most profound learnings for me personally. Wow. Okay. Um, Did you want to say something quickly, Ellen, and then we'll go to chat? Yeah. Um, Sure. Uh, I think one of the other things that people responded to why they haven't done it is this myth that it's too soon. Yeah. And uh, one of the – one of our – advisors on the project Lachlan Foro likes to say it's too soon until it's too late. So we're saying that everybody needs to have this conversation before you leave the people that you love in a bad place. And we know from from the literature that people who have had these conversations uh, choose less aggressive care 
live longer, which was a, <laughs> quite a shocking statistic. Um, but they leave their survivors less depressed and less guilty. And that, so a big part of our target is not just that people will have the death that they would choose, but that they will do the other thing we all want to do, which is to leave our survivors feeling, not, I mean, not less sad, but less guilty, less depressed, and um, less uncertain about what they've what their own role has been. Okay, great. Well, I hope we've sort of done a reasonable job here, uh, actually a stellar job, my guess, here um, in uh, getting some of this out there. Uh, Somebody was uh, typing in just as you were speaking, Ellen, it's never too soon. And uh, so appreciate that. And um, we left the chat open. I think that's probably in the good spirit of the conversation project. So I suspect that means most of you know what you're doing then with chat. But I'll just ask uh, John... Uh, to remind some others just to make sure everybody can participate. And we'll now hear um, what some of your questions and comments are for the guests. And it's certainly terrific that you're also all talking to one another. So, John? Yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, We did keep the chat open to make sure uh, folks could share uh, some of their ideas and some of their thoughts. Uh, Keep that up and throw some uh, some questions in there. So, Madge and all our guests in here can see. Okay, sounds good, everybody. So, I think that... um, some of the um, read oh people are suggesting a lot of resources so I that actually um, various resources that are out there um, first of all I think one thing that's been striking to me as the conversation project has gotten underway um, is the thoughtful news coverage um, and also uh, the race point group here works under w2 has been gathering up a lot of the coverage that's going on every day now around these issues so uh, there's a lot out there. Uh, to uh, take advantage of. And I guess maybe my, uh, while you guys on in chat and who are participants, you can shut me up at any time, but while you're gearing up uh, with your own questions and comments, how do you imagine sort of being able to relate to this kind of larger universe of a lot of groups and organizations and resources? Anybody want to speak to that? Well, I mean, I yeah. think we're Ellen. very conscious that as, the, as that as a public media campaign, we want to provide lift for all the wonderful work that's been and has been done already out there. The fact that you keep saying stuff emphasizes our belief that we're at a tipping point of this issue, that even five years ago we might not have had the kind of success that we're hoping for, but it's moving along, and we believe that um, you know, people coming to our website, uh, great. People going to other people's resources, Great, <laughs> that we're we're trying to provide lift to the whole world of uh, people who are involved in end of life care. Can I make one request too? Absolutely, because w- I see such Some interesting wonderful qu- questions feedback are coming, coming yeah. in. Yeah, and what we're hoping for, and we would love it if this would be an ideal group to use. We would love to hear your stories, and we would love you to share them with us both here and on our web page and um, we would love to be able to share those stories. That's right and I should have mentioned or brought this out so stories are can be submitted and eventually you're going to be posting some of those. Is very that cor- soon. Very soon. Okay. So again, uh, check that out. So um, let me let me turn to a couple of the questions. The first one that came in, whoops, I've got to scroll back here, um, is talking about this topic for children. How would you go about this topic for children? Um, and I guess children can mean 
<laughs> quite an, an age span. Uh, but um, that's from Christina Garofolo. Um, but I don't know. Anyone want to take a stab at that, Martha? Well, <clears throat> I would be interested, Christina, if you yeah. could if you could type in if you meant children, adult children, or for young children, because yeah. I, I would like to answer your question directly. Okay. Um, all right. But I think that uh, generally, well, first of all, my opinion on children is that um, if you're not talking about it and it's an issue, if you have a, a, a young. A, a, Young Christine. children. All right, okay. Christina. So if you have Thank if you. you have somebody in your life and the, the with whom who has a relationship with your child, a child, um, children know. They don't have the name for it, but they know, and they also know when you're scared. Um, and the great, my thinking is the greatest thing that you can do is enter into the conversation with the child and give the child permission to ask questions, um, and. To, to express their own fears. It's exactly what we need to be doing with adults. Children are going to be much better at it than adults will because their fears aren't as great. They're more curious than they are fearful. Um, and, you know, it's our culture that makes us fearful in, of death, and thinking that it's something terrible when it's, it is a natural part of, uh, of life. So that's my thought on that. It's just talk about it. Our okay. target audience is actually not people or with small children, which, of course, you need to, as, Mar- as Martha said, to have the conversation if, if someone is ill. You know, you can't let that ride. But our target audience for having our, uh, this conversation around the kitchen table are midlife. Uh, and, in fact, it's, it's been interesting to see just in the first couple of weeks who – who are what's the demographic that is logging on telling us the stories and not surprisingly the middle-aged women um, and they are the caregivers in our society they are the healthcare decision makers and they are also wrestling with the with their elders uh, getting frail older um, so that's not surprising we want to everyone to have these conversations but that has been the um, the low hanging fruit of this movement. Well, yeah, and you have a huge population, obviously, that's becoming both the caregivers of their parents, and you know they're also looking the other way as their kids have graduated from school and et cetera. So that's quite a large population, and then we're yeah, trying to really we're trying to hit that you know um, you know directly uh, on the kid one. I would say also go back and read Shel Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends. Mm-hmm, that would be one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Madge, I'm yeah. seeing this is Martha. I'm go seeing right a lot of yeah. uh, there are a couple questions here mm-hmm. about so you haven't had the conversation prior to a, to an illness or imminent death. So what do you do now? And there was also a question about how do you um, how do you address a depression era parent who is Maybe reticent, used, to, who, who's absolutely not used to. Yeah. Um, I think that the the gentleness, and I think that if when you see the starter kit, um, this should not be. This, this is an unburdening. This is an opportunity. This is not. This is softening the pain and the sadness of loss, and. Simply being given the option can put somebody into a much more peaceful place. Um, so, if it, with the depression era parent um, or people who you know who are Im- dying imminently, to ask the question, just to ask the question, is there anything? What do you want me to do for you now? Is simply giving them an option, and 
to back off if they if if they um, if it's not their choice to talk about it simply by giving them the option to talk about it you leave yourself with peace and you leave them at peace I don't want to um, assume kind of ages and generations but I did think a little bit listening to and reading about Carrie Goldberg's discussion with her father and there are probably some other discussions going on. I think the Huffington Post just had one as well I think you'll see if you go to the Conversation Project's website check out some of the recent coverage because you're going to see sort of how some of that is being tra- is transpiring, I think, with uh, parents from that, that generation, perhaps. Or That's just, true. And yeah. I, I, per- I had personally had that conversation with my 92-year-old aunt and 93-year-old uncle. And the truth is that people that age have already had experiences. And one of the ways yep. to begin that conversation is to talk about someone in their life who they see as a model of something they would want or something they would be afraid of. Uh, some interesting questions. Um, somebody says, "I usually start with, do you do you ride do you ride in a car? Accidents happen. That would what would you like me to do if you get in one?" Um, so I, I know people have all kinds of ways that they can, have insurance. Have insurance. <laughs> somebody has asked here. Uh, we need Harvey here, I guess. But do final wish Harvey, who works with the project uh, and and is a lawyer, do final wishes have to be codified in order to be followed? Well, if you have a health care proxy, yeah. the answer is no. I mean, if that health care proxy, okay. uh, if you have that conversation with the health care proxy, that person's designated to make decisions for you. In fact, the opposite can be true. You can have, uh, you can have signed a living will or an advanced care directive, but if you haven't talked with your health care proxy, it can be ignored. Right. Okay. Somebody, oh, go ahead, Martha. Well, I'm just yeah. noticing um, somebody saying that uh, a good way to start the conversation today is to say, I was listening to this great radio station, and they were talking about end-of-life care, and I think that that really speaks to everything that we're talking about here and why we're doing this in the way in which we're doing, is by making people, helping people to connect, opening the conversation, and letting it spread. Because simply bringing it up, Everybody, as Ellen said, has a story, and everybody has an interest, and everybody has a personal interest. There's a question, a comment here about uh, conflicts. So if you're trying to have a a conversation as a family... And there are lots of conflicts within this family. I mean, any well, there are lots of conflicts in a lot of families. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, when I spoke at the um, IHI summit last spring, a doctor came up to me afterwards. Uh, I was talking about the conversation project, and the doctor came up to me afterwards and said that a lot of time he has conflicts between siblings over what should be done with the uh, with parents' end-of-life treatment. And he said that they've come up with an expression that he calls it the seagull syndrome, which is the child furthest away flies in and dumps all over the plant. <laughs> so forgive me. He put it more graphically even than that. Uh-huh. But there are one of the things that we really feel strongly that we can uh, make a dent in is this kind of sibling conflict. Because if, in fact, you have made decisions about yourself and you have relayed them to your children, when the time comes, it's not about what they fantasize you want and whether, you know, you always loved me more than, you know, dad always loved me more than he loved you. It's not about all this old stuff. It's about what, in fact, the parent wanted. 
Okay. Uh, reminder to everyone, um, Larry, I'm going to let you jump right in. Somebody is asking, yes, this chat um, is something you can download uh, when you log off uh, the program today. You'll be prompted if you want to download the slides and the chat, so by all means. We also do post it to uh, the WIHI archive page, so it'll be there by tomorrow. And again, if you're tuning in uh, via audio only and not on a computer, you can ask for the chat via info at IHI.org. Larry? Yeah, I was just going to add one thing to what Ellen and you know was saying about conflict. Um, it's been interesting in my age group of friends who I've said you know to go on the site and tell me what they think. And a number of them um, had recently lost uh, a parent. You know, they're in their 90s. Most of their parents are in their late 80s and 90s. And it was interesting that uh, consistently a number of them said to me, it actually created a little conflict at first between not just my siblings but me and my parent because. I was the one that wasn't ready, and the parent was far more ready. And yeah. in fact, uh, one of my closest friends, the mother said, "Would you stop with all your worrying? I'm <laughs> fine. It's time to go." Mm-hmm. You know. And so there's all these types of other conflict types of things right. that I think are going to keep coming up. But that's the reason to have it in the open and to have continual conversations about it. Yeah. Ellen, go ahead. I just wanted to say that the, our starter kit yeah. is a work in progress. It's yes. one of the wonderful things about social media. You can keep changing it. Yes. We would just love it if the people who are listening today okay. looked at it. We need your help. We need your feedback and input, and we would just be really pleased to hear any of your thoughts of things that are missing or things that are great. With, at things you'd add in. And how could people let you know about, um, is, is it obvious on the website? Yeah. yeah. How yeah. to contact and let people know sort of how they, how things are going. The world's an editor, not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and an interesting, another, um, yeah, we got a slide up there around reminding everyone how, there's a couple ways to contact uh, the project, but you can find it on the website there. Somebody has also said, and I, and I was thinking about this without scaring everyone, about um, the high-tech nature of what can happen at the end of life that may be things you don't want. How do you start to bring that information forward uh, maybe in a way uh, so that – because a lot of folks – aren't entirely clear what's going to happen. You were saying, Martha, I want to die in a hospital, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're painting the picture of the caring environment, sort of mm-hmm. the best of what we want. And I think um, others may find themselves uh, maybe up against, you know, a lot of interventions that maybe weren't wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts at all, or I don't know if this is taken up in the project itself, about sort of how to talk about what kinds of things tend to happen, um, you know, end of life, um, where technology, you know, may be right. a big factor. Well, you, you could argue that this whole project has come about because of the wonderful technology that allows us to live longer. Mm-hmm. In the last uh, 100 years, we've added 30 years to our lifespan. And with that wonderful technology has come more decisions that need to be made. And so that has brought this. Now, the question about whether uh, we really start in a general way with not what's the matter with you, but what matters to you, and then when people do get into a crisis situation, they very well have to make much more technical decisions. But we're giving them the tools by which they will begin to talk to their medical provider. It's often said that if I know who you are, I'll know what you want. 
or if I know what matters to you, I'll know what it is. Our next, just to let you all participate again, <laughs> our next um, kit is going to be how to talk to your doctor, mm. by which we all mean all your medical providers, but we're using the, you know, talk to your doctor <laughs> um, uh, logo. And um, so we're going to bring this from the kitchen table to, okay, now you've had this at the kitchen table. If there is a crisis, how do you initiate the conversation? Because as we said, we know doctors have trouble initiating these conversations. So how do we both help them and participate in that, as, as Martha would say, in that two-way dialogue? If I can, Go right the, the, um, one of the changes that is coming about, and for those who are listening who may be aware of it, um, I'd be interested in, in seeing how people feel about this. It, um, as we were talking about this sibling conflict, language and culture is already changing, and where people are very familiar with the do not resuscitate order, which is something that uh, far too many of us have had to, you know, we, we feel like that's a, a protective device, and that's about somebody's wishes. The the terminology has shifted in many places, and there's some resistance in others to uh, changing that terminology to allow natural death. And I personally feel um, a, 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 I feel a kinship with allow natural death because um, the the do not resuscitate is a is a refusal to it feels like a refusal to allow somebody to live when really we don't have that power mm-hmm. we can't stop somebody from dying I mean we can do it mechanically for some time but death will come but and but you can see how culturally if we really feel that we can hold off death for forever we're going to use every mean possible so simply by talking about it and then change changing shifting our terminology to allowing natural death we're we're suggesting, I know this is very strange in America, and Tara um, said death is, a, is an option in the earlier chat. She said death is an option in the U.S. Um, it, I, I guess that was signed in by government at some point, but it, that's how we live. Right. And if we start to, to shift our terminology to say allow natural death, I think it's a real gift to the, the relationship between siblings. Um, mm-hmm. as well as all involved. The only thing I would add is that as this project continues on, I think there will be a lot of side conversations, yep. Madge, and I think one of that will be about technology and the use of technology and you know the morality of technology mm-hmm. and, and does should technology have right. a moral purpose in our lives and things like that. And so I think that will be in- interesting. I think the New York Times just had – the piece that they think you could live to 150 if right. there's <laughs> certain technologies, and I, I, it brings up uh, a few people that are working on that. And I, I, I remember telling one of my friends that you'll just be a head that we all carry around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> connected to everything. To right. Me. Okay. Okay. All kinds of imagery. <laughs> now, the the interesting thing I think about this project, um, and hopefully you're all witnessing it. You're all part of it today, which is fabulous. You're all kind of uh, representing exactly what this uh, initiative is hoping to ignite, which is talking to one another, sharing your stories.
stories, your resources, your information. I want to make sure before the hour is up uh, that Ellen gets a chance to uh, put out a pitch because one of the things that can help uh, spread the word about the work and the opportunities here uh, is um, being willing to uh, speak and uh, be interviewed by broadcast. Uh, Broadcast outlets have taken a really, really strong interest in this issue, so I think there's some partnering going on. Absolutely. I mean, if I my pitch is a short one, Mm -hmm. but as part of our work with the Conversation Project, we're really interested in hearing your personal stories about good and hard deaths, and right now we're particularly interested in hearing from those who who did not have the conversation and wish they had, Um, so you can contact us through the website or by uh, sending a an email to Ellen Goodman at theconversationproject.org uh, if you'd be willing to share your story about not having had the conversation, and we would very much look forward to hearing. Okay. Hearing you. And is that for a particular? Is there is there some programming that's interested in that? Yes, there are a number of different programs okay. that are interested in us. Okay, it's a step, and people could uh, follow up on that. And um, again. And by the way, if you register that interest also through the website, um, but let me just, since that was a very particular thing, we'll say Ellen Goodman at theconversationproject.org if you might like to be share that story and consider uh, making it available. Um, and you can see some of these stories on the ABC website as well where right. we are our digital partners. Okay, great. I want to also uh, say two things. One is that uh, all the discussion that's kind of been in and around here today about um, giving us tools and language and kind of known knowledge that we can take uh, with us into the healthcare system, if that's where we're um, navigating and negotiating things at the end of life. Um, One of the companion things that's going on here at IHI is some new work that's getting off the ground uh, with about uh, 10 organizations uh, calling it Conversation Ready and uh, trying to work with organizations to healthcare organizations to develop much, much better and more robust and reliable systems so that when your wishes are known and uh, people are kind of ready, uh, that there's a, re- a receptive uh, environment there within healthcare uh, to um, essentially embrace what your wishes are and to work with you as opposed to against you or in some contradictory fashion to what you might really like. So uh, healthcare um, is the system is very, very open. I think that what some of the issues have been is sort of the way things are structured right now, often the, the possibilities um, kind of get buried in, in the course of uh, regular uh, business and the way things unfold right now. So conversation ready, you'll be hearing more about that as well. I also want to just say very, very quickly that IHI has a seminar coming up uh, on October 23rd to 24th entitled The Patient Experience, Improving Safety, Efficiency, and HCAPs through patient-centered care. And uh, again, I think we can make a lot of connections here. Uh, Patient-centered care is very much a part of what uh, the Conversation Project is about as well. Um, So all these things hopefully kind of go hand-in-hand. Martha? I'm seeing some uh, requests and suggestions that we collaborate with various organizations. Mm -hmm. And um, as we we get more and more of these requests, what we're finding is that... um, 
the collaboration we seek from others is um, first a very direct request to visit the website, um, like us. I, 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 you know, I'm I'm of the age that it still seems strange to say, "Will you friend me?" Um, so, but I'm getting used to it. Um, to like us so that we can start to spread the word, to share your story, to fill out the "I want I'm mine to be." Those are really important to us right now as we build this trend and we and we get the word out. But in terms of collaboration, the most important thing what we have here is a national campaign but social change takes place at home in the community and on a regional level and so the most important thing that you can do is use this campaign Mm -hmm. in any way you see fit use the starter kit refer people um to the campaign (laughs) in order in order to raise up the work that you're doing be it in canada be it in your hospital be it in your own home use this with we have extraordinary funders who see the value of this and so and we continue to seek new funding in case anybody's mistaken about that (laughs) but but in order to get this far we're we're fully funded to present this free to the world that's that's the the wonderful gift that we have to offer so use this campaign to elevate the work that you're doing all right. Well, I think on that, if everybody's okay with that, um, nice uh, kind of call call to action uh, from Martha. Hey, we're there. I want to thank you. I want to thank Ellen Goodman. Thank you, Larry Ward. Thank you, our most active. I meant to say Larry Weber. <laughs> I knew I might do that once. Um, he was, so he's been an elected official in Cambridge. <laughs> Sorry, Larry. The other Larry, Larry Weber. My apologies. Um, thank you all for your very vibrant participation uh, today. The discussion continues at theconversationproject.org. Uh, kind of follow the, the yellow brick road to all the other things in terms of Twitter, the Facebook page. You can also, uh, Jane Rossner will uh, add some comments on IHI's Facebook page that you can take a look at and perhaps add your own. Uh, Please tweet away. And uh, next up on WIHI, uh, we're going to be talking about our IHI National Forum. I I hate to say we're we're talking on September 13th about the December Forum, but there you go. That's what happens. We've got a really, really interesting group coming on board to tell you what's up when we all head to Orlando in uh, December for a very, very important meeting. And the conversation project will certainly be one of the things uh, that's uh, talked about and discussed and more networking that will happen there. By tomorrow morning, the webpage goes live that uh, has the September 13th program. Actually, that goes live this afternoon. By tomorrow morning, you'll find all the audio and the um, related resources from today's program. So we invite you to, if you like the show, tell others, spread it around. Uh, we really appreciate um, your interest in the program. Thanks also to Vicki Minden, who puts all resources together. Again, when you log off today, you can download the chat, any slides. If you were just connecting by phone, email info at IHI.org. The people who help make WIHI possible, there they are, are Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Dina Cox. And then we have some interesting music that opens the cl- and closes the show. Original arrangements by Aaron Flanagan on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all. Thank you all for being part of this conversation about the Conversation Project today for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Have a good afternoon. <laughs>